0: Shabbat shalom. We're entering into a momentous period in the life of our nation, primaries are over. The candidates have been chosen. One of the two still standing will be the next president. What qualities do we want in our leaders? Jewish tradition has a lot to say about leadership. The festival of Shavuot begins tomorrow night. I hope you come. We will feast together on dairy and the deity, chosenness and cheesecakes, blessings and blintzes. Since Passover we have been diligently counting down the days to Shavuot. Passover and Shavuot are linked. That is why we have been counting down the days. Passover is not really complete until after Shavuot ends. It's ironic because most American Jews love and observe Passover. Far fewer even heard of Shavuot. But one without the other doesn't make sense. Passover without Shavuot creates an imbalance. And as we know, balance in life is everything. Shavuot, the day of the granting of the Torah on Mount Sinai is what grounds the idea of liberty that is at the heart of Passover. You can't have freedom, Passover, without law, Shavuot. Passover represents liberation, but unrestrained liberty is anarchy, hence Shavuot that represents restraint. Passover is the exaltation of breaking chains, Shavuot is the reality of daily life. Passover is elation, Shavuot is sobriety. Passover is release, Shavuot is discipline. Passover is the promise of freedom, Shavuot is the hard work of freedom. Upon crossing the sea, all that the Israelites really wanted to do was party. Who brought the beer, they said. They were afraid of the hard work of freedom. But Moses wasn't a chicken. He didn't cross the sea simply to get to the other side. His sights were on Mount Sinai, where the Israelites, to their dismay, Spent over a year studying and absorbing the law. Yeah, Moses comes down the mountain. He says, The good news is that I got him down to 10. (laughs) The bad news is that adultery is still in. (laughs) Mount Sinai was the completion of the revolution. Mount Sinai was the guarantee of liberty, and Moses was the only leader who could get them there. Our tradition is emphatic that Moses was imperfect. We have no perfect leaders in Judaism. They are all flawed. What makes them great is that they somehow figure out how to overcome their flaws. The Bible makes no attempt to hide Moses' failings. He was impatient. He was subject to fits of rage. He was not a warm, fuzzy, cuddly personality. He was hard to love. His brother Aaron, the high priest, and his sister Miriam were the beloved ones. But then again, they didn't have the political responsibilities that their brother had. Jewish tradition hints that the great political leaders are not necessarily beloved. Because like Moses, they need to make hard decisions. Moses understood that freedom is hard work. It was hard to establish the institutions of liberty, a system of justice, an executive branch, respect for the law, and individual rights. But nobody wants to hear that they have to work hard. We prefer to insist on entitlements. Not what we must give, but what we must receive. And when the Israelites inevitably complained and even rebelled from the hard work to the promised land, it wasn't Moses who comforted them. Moses fought against them. It was Aaron, the spiritual leader, and Miriam, the prophet, who held their hand and felt their pain. That's the thing. We're electing a president, not a priest. We vote for Congress, not clergy. We vote for representatives not rabbis, politicians, not prophets. We look for the leader who respects the institutions upon which our freedom depends. Who can protect the free spirit of the people? Who can defend the barricades designed to repel the crashing waves of mass emotion, anger, prejudice, insecurity, fear, xenophobia. This is the person we want. We are looking for the leader who understands that there is no easy way. We want our leader to acknowledge that freedom is hard. It is not reducible to sayings and simple slogans. Freedom says Take the hard road. It goes through Sinai. For every right you assert, there are responsibilities you must embrace. For every benefit, there is sacrifice. For every liberty, there is duty. But we prefer the easy way. We want only benefits not sacrifice. We live in an era of easy answers — build the wall, banish the Muslims, protect my feelings, give me safe space, relinquish your white privilege, and so many other assertions that might look like moral clarity but are in fact just vapid, self-indulgent vanity. It's too much Passover in this country and not enough Shavuot. Too much about my entitlements and not enough about my responsibilities. We have forgotten how hard it was to create this magnificent country with its exquisite balance of rights and responsibilities. We have become soft and lazy and complacent and self-absorbed and narcissistic. If it is openness you want, you can't build walls. If you want free speech, you can't have unlimited emotional safe space. I must be free to say what offends you. If it is unity you want, you can't divide. We have forgotten how many before us sacrificed and spilled blood, sweat and tears to erect and maintain the solid walls of democracy's fortress. And therefore, more than anything else, we are looking for the leader who is humble. The Bible describes Moses as the most humble person in the world. We do not mean by this some wishy washy, tree hugging, mild mannered, lowly, meek, conflict averse poetic soul. Moses was none of these. You may find some of these traits in your priest, but do not expect them in your politician. And honestly, I'm not even sure that you will find too many of these traits in the spiritual leaders who are now serving this illustrious congregation. What did the Torah mean by humility? Moses seemed imperious at times. Most of us assume that humility and political leadership are oxymoronic, they are contradictory, they cannot exist in the same person. But Jewish tradition clarifies that humility is the quality that recognizes the vulnerabilities and frailties of the human condition. Humility is the quality that accepts that we do not have all the answers, that life is hard, that we are prone to error and we have arrogant and prideful tendencies. Humility is the quality that allows for growth and learning. It is the quality that recognizes our stupidity. Nothing dies harder than the desire to think well of oneself. Humility is the quality that admits that there are people who are smarter than we are, more experienced than we are, more capable than we are, and more correct than we are. Humility is the quality that encourages us to build these people up not to diminish them in order to show how exalted we are. Humility of the self is the opposite of humiliation of others. Humility is the quality that allows us to receive criticism. Happy are they that hear their detractions and put them to mending. Humility is the quality that Prevents us from considering every critique a stain on our honor. Before honor is humility, states the Proverbs. Humility is the quality that allows for discernment, inclining us to remain flexible, open, and willing to change our minds. It is the quality that prevents us from becoming dogmatic, stubborn, and close-minded. These are the qualities we are looking for in our leaders. Nothing so becomes a leader as humility. Humility does not contradict drive, ambition, impatience, anger, self-regard, or self-confidence. Moses was filled with these qualities. To the contrary, self-regard is critical for a leader. because. We make so many mistakes in life that success is going from mistake to mistake without loss of confidence. But self-confidence should not be confused with narcissism. If the driving forces are self-promotion and self-interest, then what we have is salesmanship, not leadership. The incomparable David Foster Wallace wrote, there is a difference between a great leader and a great salesman. There are also similarities. A great salesman is usually charismatic and likable and can often get us to do things that we might not go for on our own. But even a truly great salesman is not a leader. This is because a salesman's ultimate, overriding motivation is self-interest. So even though the salesman might have a very powerful, charismatic, admirable personality and might even persuade you that it is in your interests, still, a little part of you always knows that what the salesman is ultimately after is something for himself. The difference between a talented salesman and a real leader in American history, Wallace writes, is that with respect to a political salesman, their deepest, most elemental motives were selfish. There was no chance of them inspiring us to transcend our selfishness. Instead, they usually helped reinforce our market conditioned belief that everybody's ultimately out for himself and that life is about selling and profit, and that words and phrases like service and justice and community and patriotism and duty are just the politics industry's proven sale pitches. We may vote for them in the same way that we may buy toothpaste, but we're not inspired. They're not the real thing. It is the difference between Merely believing somebody and believing in somebody. All politicians sell always have. The greatest leaders were also great salesmen. But that's not all they were. People could smell it, that weird little extra something. It had to do with character.